Hey everyone, you're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be diving into what's top of mind for us right now, where we'll talk about the most timely and relevant topics that are probably on the minds of a lot of people out there in the HR world. Hope you enjoy. What's up, Steven? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, so, so today's dinner. episode 21. Wow. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that 21. Wow. That, uh, that went by quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, we started late December. So a little over four episodes per month. Say we're doing a pretty good job, man. Yeah, it uh, that's pretty wild. You know, our, our original goal was one a week, so we're a little bit above that. So that that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I was actually I was actually reflecting on what we've done at the podcast so far last week. I I had the opportunity to go on as a guest to a podcast. Um, it was a marketing podcast, nice. and naturally the topic of podcasting came up because it was a marketing podcast. <laughs> And I explained that, you know, coming into the modern people leader, I had zero expectations. We just wanted to meet smart people leaders that we could learn from. And I was, I was telling the, the woman that was interviewing me how we've been blown away by the fact that there's anyone listening to our podcast. So <laughs> yeah. for all of our listeners out there, we're extremely thankful for, for you and, and, for, and for tuning in. We really appreciate it. So... So yeah, big thanks to everyone. Uh, shout out to all the listeners. It's it's been a lot of fun. What's been your your favorite moment so far? Well, I hope I'm not stealing your favorite moment, but <laughs> I really enjoyed our conversation with Dina Upton, the Chief People Officer Ooh, at Drift. Yeah. It was just such a you know relevant topic. She she went in on their decision to go digital first, and really, I was just so impressed by the speed in which Drift was able to make their decision. And mm-hmm. how much how much thought they put into that decision? I feel like a lot of companies they'll try to justify a decision for a hundred different reasons, but Drift actually had like a why for their decision, and that was to create a more equitable experience for everyone at their company. So I just I really enjoyed that chat. Yeah, I, that was a really good one. That was a really good one. I've brought that one probably up the most in just like random conversations, conversations with friends, clients. So that was a really, really good one. You know, I, I'm going to take a different, a different twist on this. I think my, my favorite moment is, is not just one in any particular moment, but it's just been, it's actually getting to, to work with you and like collaborate with you. You know, our audience has heard like we've worked together in the past and it's just been so much fun being able to come together again and just collaborate on totally different thing, obviously related, but different. And it's just, it's been a journey. We've learned a lot. I feel like we've, we found a groove. And so I've really enjoyed that. Taking the sentimental well, dude, I, and angle on that. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I really appreciate <laughs> it. And the, the feeling is mutual. I've, I've definitely enjoyed this. I mean, we hadn't really talked for like what, two, not even, not two years, but an entire year. Well, what professionally, am I yeah, perf- yeah, professionally. Professionally, we hadn't really spoken for a year. And, you know, for everyone listening, we're second cousins. So we're family. So it's, <laughs> we're still in touch. But, but no, it's been really great to, to reconnect and to do this with you. It's been a lot of fun. But to, to, so, to I guess to answer, to answer you more specifically, it's been cool also uh, bringing, to name a few names, uh, April Galda, just that's someone that I worked with in the past and to have her on, even like Jill Godfrey, we, we interviewed her a few episodes back. She's also a friend of mine. So I've really enjoyed like the friend component and the friend and family component. So it's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the next 20. Same here, man. Hopefully we can keep going and keep getting in the same amount of episodes per week. But yeah, the first 20 was great. And I'm only expecting the next 20 to be even better. For sure. So to, uh, I guess, segue into our, our conversation for today, it's been, it's been a weird year. You know, 2021 is starting off on a 
better foot than 2020, but it still feels pretty weird. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I talked to a lot of friends and people are adjusting to this new normal that we're living in, but it feels like this past year and a half has been a roller coaster for everyone. And it feels like Agreed. we're at this weird point where people are beginning to become burnt out. Engagement levels might be starting to drop. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's weird. So, you know, we're a quarter into 2021 and uh, that's pretty mind blowing to me. It it's feels like it was crazy yesterday that we were celebrating, you know, the holidays. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, I, I know that um, you're you're in the weeds of, of employee feedback data basically every day. Yeah. So I'm just curious, have, have you have you seen anything interesting this year? Um, curious if, you, if you've noticed any trends in the data. Yeah, well, it, this is actually a conversation we've been having a lot. Um, I've met with a lot of clients lately. You know, Q1 is a time where a lot of companies choose a kickoff, like their, their main engagement baseline. We've talked about how you know, the trend we see is companies mixing up engagement surveys, poll surveys. And, um, and so Q1, it's like the beginning of the year. So like, let's get a baseline. And, and so we have, a, we've been working, you know, with a lot of clients trying to make sense of their data, you know, 2020, you know, it, it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. It just was so, it was unprecedented. And there just was a lot of confusion in terms of understanding data and understanding the feedback. Um, scores have been really unpredictable over the last year. There've been like really high highs, uh, there have been some drops. Some metrics have stayed high while others have dropped. And so I, I think there's there have been a lot of external forces that have been really driving those scores one way or another. And when your scores are all over the place, it can be hard for executives to, to make sense. Clearly, they're going to have questions when, you know, the, the scores are all over the place. And so HR, you know, we're getting a lot of tough questions for sure. And I think that every year, survey over survey, I, I think it's normal to have questions. But when you have all of these other factors at play, that complicates things for sure. And um, but you know what I what I can say is when we look across we when we look at the data across clients or just the market in general, you know it um, it is confusing. Um, but there are definitely some common elements that we see. There, there are definitely some areas. There, there's a narrative for sure that, and and I think HR practitioners, you know, really should be equipped to understand the narrative and to really get a sense for like what what those scores are doing and why. Tell me more. Tell me more about these common elements. Well, you know, I I think you know as far as you know the broad trends, you know, we we work with. A variety, a, a variety of businesses across multiple industries, and you know, I'm I'm a big believer that looking at your data, and we talked about this. You know, your your time is better spent looking at your internal benchmarks and trends, things that will really drive improvements in your own business performance, not so much you know the external benchmarking piece. And I think, you know, especially in years like this year. Uh, there is some value in looking at the broader data. And so, you know, when it, it depends what sort of engage, engagement approach you have, but I think that the, there are some themes around, you know, the timing, the segments of the pandemic and what scores we're doing. And so the, the first phase was really March, April, May. And those were like, that was like early pandemic. And kind of what, what I'll look, consider like phase one and scores shot up. So we saw like generally really, really high EMPS scores. We saw really, really high employee satisfaction scores. And so people, people were, were drinking the, the work from home Kool-Aid. For sure. Yeah. And well, not only that, but I think that there were, there was a lot of um, fear I think that employees were worried that, you know, their jobs were at risk. And I think that that, that influence responses 
And, and that's what we've seen is not only in, in addition to that. So that, that's one element. Another element is that, that, you know, companies were over communicating with their people and trying to reassure them. And there was high levels of communication and there were, there was mm. a lot of things that were happening as well. And so, and so, yeah, to, to, an, to, in essence, you know, a sort of Kool-Aid, right. To really, yeah. you know, maybe tea is a better way of looking at it to like calm everyone down as much as possible. Let people know that, you know, they're being heard that the company was like looking looking at this very seriously in terms of the pandemic. It's, and so I think all those things, you know, pushed up scores really, really high. It's, it's interesting that you say that because you mentioned that there was probably more frequent communication from leaders to their employees. I wonder if, if there's a learning that, that's come out of that for leadership teams that, hey, maybe we should have been communicating with our employees like this all along. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think that in many ways, we got comfortable. We, <laughs> you know, HR departments, managers, leaders, it was kind of this, this machine that was operating, you know, it was status quo for so long, right? And with COVID, it, you know, there were already some, some foundational things that were changing. We've talked about a lot of those things. And COVID just seemed to accelerate and exacerbate uh, some of the, the issues and challenges in the workplace. And so there was a, there was a response, maybe an over-response to that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think in many ways, for sure, I think looking back, those were you know, some of the things that we've done over the last year. Yeah, for sure. They should have been done before. Yeah. So sorry, I got you off track. So you were, you were saying that in May that there was higher engagement scores. And then that's where I, I jumped in and started asking questions. So w- what other trends have you seen across the past 12 months? Yeah. So, so March, April, May scores shoot up, you know, for, for multiple reasons. Then we kind of come into the summer months of last year and call it Q3 of, of 20, uh, 2020 and scores drop. And, and I think that there were other factors at play contributing to the downward trend, kind of generally speaking in, in, the, uh, in the data sets that we look at. Uh, and again, this is like macro, this is macro data. And so some of the things that, that led to scores dropping, and mind you, not all scores dropped, but some pretty important scores dropped, like again, EMPS dropped, employee satisfaction scores dropped. Um, some of the, the, the factors or indicators that we look at, such as leadership and management, dropped. And Interesting. That, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, there was a, a different, the, the different set of factors that contributed to that. A lot of that was, you know, Black Lives Matter, um, social injustice, you know, some of the racial injustice the rather- the election, all of these kind of polarizing things that were happening that were spilling in, in society that were spilling into the workplace. And I think that coupled with pandemic fatigue, as yeah. well as the, the fact that you know, companies probably were hitting, tapping the brakes a little bit in terms of some of the communication that they were doing, because they were, they honestly didn't know what was happening. We talked about Dina Upton and Drift earlier, like they made, they were swift. They made a quick decision. Yeah. They were able to find that alignment. You know, they were, they were one of the minorities, right? One of the few companies that were able to do that so quickly. And yeah. here we are today, um, you know, and I th- three quarters later, and there's still companies that are trying to figure it out. Yeah. I think also around that time, you probably have a lot of people that, you know, in a normal world, if they were working remote, would have some sort of outlet to, you know, kind of kick their feet back and maybe blow off some steam, whether it's going to hang out with friends or seeing family. And at that time it was getting to the point of, you know, where people had gone potentially five, six months without seeing their parents or five, six months without seeing their friends. So I bet I, I guarantee you that that probably also had something to do with it. So then all they, all they see all day or all they're able to do is show up to work via, you know, Slack, Zoom, email, in sitting in their either office at their home or if they don't have an office on the couch or in their kitchen 
So I'm sure all of these factors contributed to the scores dropping. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Like the, the, the mental wellness or, you know, mental well-being issues that that's around the time over the summer where that really started, you know, we started talking about that more and we started seeing our clients, you know, conducting surveys that were specific to that topic. But for, for me personally, like I, I was isolated, you know, alone, you know, I had my daughters every now and then, but you know, that, that, that the normal interactions, you know, six months in, yeah, that was really, really tough. And, and so to, to take a, you know, to take a survey and like truly reflect on, you know, my level of engagement, like, yeah, my scores are going to go down. And when it's still unclear when we're going to return to the office, if we're going to return to the office and there, there are really personal things that are topics that are coming up at, into the, in, that are spilling into the workplace and that are just happening in, in general. And it feels like things should be said or shouldn't be said, right? Cause there's always two, two views on, um, on, on these topics, then yeah. that's going to even further compound my, my yeah. the scores. And so we saw that in the data for sure. So there's like, if you look at the curve, there's like steep increases and it's time into client over client over company over company over company. And then there are deep, you know, in the, in the summer months uh, to early fall, we see a decrease. And then what about Q1 2021? And so that brings us to like a, a, a stabilization period to where we are today. And, and I think that things um, it's been kind of like up, down, up, down, up, down. Like we've seen, you know, relatively flat, if like slightly down curve in scores. Again, the interesting, the really, really interesting thing to me though, is some scores have not level set. Some scores remain really, really high. So and, and the one that really jumps out at me, which I think is, you know, is potentially a problem for some companies is retention scores. So retention scores remain incredibly high for, you know, and, and this is company over company that we're talking about. And, and that, you know, that's where I think some executives and leaders you know, are scratching their heads, trying to make sense. So, so like, for okay. everyone, for everyone listening, when we talk about retention scores, what exactly does the question say? I'm just curious. Yeah, I plan on working at company name for the next mm-hmm. zero to three months, three to six months, six months to 12 months, one, one to two years, and two years plus. Is and what are people the, saying for the most part? They're, they're saying, they're saying two, so we look at the percentage of employees that are, that have, that have selected that are going to leave the company in the next 12 months. And we look at what percentage of those employees of the total employee population, you know, that comprises. So anything over okay. 15%, if 15% of your workforce, and, and again, this is just broadly speaking, it, it depends based on industry, but you know, if more than a certain percent of your employees are going to, are saying they're going to leave within the next 12 months, um, in our case, we look at anything over 15%, uh, percent, then, you know, we, we start to consider that an attrition risk, right? Yeah. You know, so you're, the risk of losing your employees is high. And the higher that percentage of your employees that are going to leave in the, in the next 12 months, the higher your risk is. And so that number shrank for most companies in that phase one period, March, April, yeah. May. And that number well, we- has remained you know, has remained really, really low, i.e. the employees are going to leave in the next year. Like, are we talking less than 10%, less than 5%? In many cases, less than 10%. Yeah. In some wow. cases, less okay. than five. Yeah. And, and, and what, what we, you know, when you think about that, some studies are saying that 25 to 30% of the workforce in general in the U.S. is, is, at burnout or very close to burnout and mm. will be looking to leave their job, you know, as soon as possible, as soon as things stabilize. And that's the question is like, when will that happen? Yeah. And, and, and I think that's a blind spot for, for a lot yeah. of companies. Yeah. So before we, before we keep going, I just want to, I just want to ask you, so over the past 12 months, 
like you said, scores have gone up and down, up and down. I imagine when the scores get really low that that executives probably have a bit of a freak out or a panic to where they're like, why, why all of a sudden did the scores, you know, drop from these, these highs that we had in March, April. Now we're looking at it and they've dropped, dropped significantly. I, I'm just curious, what did some of those, what were some of those conversations like? What, what, what type of, of guidance were you able to provide? Because I mean, at the time, you know, hindsight's 2020, we can sit here now and say like, you know, it was probably because of this or that. I'm just curious in the moment, what, what was the guidance? Well, the, the guidance was, was very much if we were to take a step back to when the, the scores increase, like, you know, for, for a lot of the companies that we work with, they have like the rhythm of tracking a cr- critical number or two. Right. And so, you know, we, I'm also, and you know, this a big believer that there's no single measure to engagement and the, you really should be looking at it from a number of different way perspectives. And so mm-hmm. you know, we, for example, you know, I, I'm a big believer that you should be looking at a leading indicator um, and employee net promoter score is a good employee, uh, a good leading indicator. That's why I keep referencing that. Um, then there's like core engagement and those are, um, you know, typical liker, you know, strongly disagree to strongly agree type questions. Um, and then, you know, a lagging indicator is retention, right? And so we recommend really looking at the three components. And so in most cases, when there was a drop, it wasn't like everything dropped. And so like I, yeah. I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we saw a drop in some scores. We saw a drop in EMPS, you know, broadly speaking. We saw drops in leadership scores, management scores. And, and those two, you know, they're, they're unique reasons why yeah. we saw a drop that, you know, we, we believe those two, those two areas or factors dropped. Um, but a lot of the scores were stable. And so, yeah. you know, what, what we, when we, when I partner with executives, I really make sure that you're looking at the full narrative, right? You're looking at all components of the data yeah. and, um, and then, you know, really digging into the areas that, um, that are causing the weakness in scores. And so the ability, you know, having real business intelligence capabilities, being able to slice and dice your data and filter down to the certain departments. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was a big way that we, you know, talked a lot of executives off the ledge, right? So just explaining to them the difference between the lagging indicators and the leading indicators and those, those core engagement scores in helping them understand what exactly they're looking at? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause in many cases, you know, core engagement, um, you know, re- is remains really, really strong um, yeah. in the data that we're looking at um, EMPS, or in some cases, you know, the companies that we, that, that I speak to are looking at employee satisfaction um, and which is a slightly, you know, you know, I am satisfied in my job, you know, strongly disagree to strongly agree. Um, That's another single question a lot of companies look at. And so that, however, you know, that again, leading indicator drops more quickly many times in some of the core engagement questions. So, so then it's, you know, looking, really digging into qualitative responses and seeing what. That was going to be, that was going to be my next question. So I, you mentioned that, that, that leadership and management scores seem to have dropped and in previous episodes with, with some of the guests that we've had on, we've talked about how managers have, have struggled in this new environment and how they should manage their direct reports. I'm curious, did, what was, did, did you notice anything interesting from that qualitative, qualitative feedback? You, you, one, Around management? That, yeah, 1000%. Like we, and the first thing we saw is the drop in scores around summertime and then in follow on, you know, in Q4, Q3, we saw the drop in scores, right? And Q3 and Q4, sorry, Q4 and Q1 of this year, we started to see, you know, we started to see in qualitative feedback exactly what was happening in management. So it didn't all reveal itself all at once. In some cases it did, 
Um, but it's been like this progression and that's what's so uh, fascinating about working with this data. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, the, the people science behind it really, really works. And so the, some of the things that, um, that immediately jumped out were one-on-ones and the issue with one-on-ones. And I, I know that's something we've talked at length and <laughs> yeah. it, it's also been like, we talk about that on every episode. <laughs> it, it, it well, and that's for for good reason. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> um, another thing that we we saw in the in the qualitative feedback from from employees is uh, the this responsibility to to discuss or address certain certain issues that were happening in in society in the world. Um, that was more so on the leadership front. Um, you know, some other topics it in the management realm is feedback on performance and understanding kind of career growth and development. That, that seems to be a general trend that has happened because, you know, again, manager, there's no managerial playbook for pandemic. Right. And we, yeah. we've, we were all, all the managers out there were doing the best they could. And, and many times managers were all, are also um, parents. Right. Yeah. And so, so there were some some elements of you know some competencies that weren't really getting a, that haven't been addressed, and I think employees yeah. and, it, and when we when we talk about and now we're seeing you know our 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 fear is my fear is for the companies that aren't all over this that that retention or that attrition blind spot that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that um, that that I just kind of mentioned in the data we've seen, that's all going to contribute to to people leaving the companies that they're working at. So, yeah, very interesting. So, uh, I know that a lot of companies are sending out return to work surveys. Tell me, tell me how those surveys are going. Is there anything? I mean. I, it feels like what we heard from from Dina on on the episode where we had her on was that there was like a 30, 30, 30 split of people saying they either wanted to come back in the office, they wanted a hybrid um, setup, or they wanted to be fully remote. And then there was like 10% of people that couldn't care less, like whatever the company decides they're going to do. Is that is that consistent with what you're seeing? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I think that we have some really interesting times ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that vaccines, the initial data coming back um, is indicating that, that vaccinations are working and that there's more and more confidence. Obviously, you know, the J&J vaccine, that was a, you know, a, bit, of a, uh, a bit of a speed bump. Um, but generally speaking, you know, I think with the traction that we're getting here in the U.S. with vaccines, obviously, is 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 creating a positive sentiment um, for the people that are advocates of of returning to office, um, or it's just kind of opening up awareness, like hmm, maybe we can do this. I think the strengthening of the in of the U.S. economy. Many people feel that we are like all of the the perfect elements, like there's a perfect storm for, for an economic boom, um, you know, between stimulus and, you know, um, unemployment, like all the things coming, you know, coming back together that this could, we could be entering a phase of, of really strong growth uh, in the U S economy. And so I think that there, we're seeing two camps. We're seeing those that are quickly embracing, uh, the digital first hybrid approach, the hybrid model. And then we're seeing those that may be swinging hard to, to a return to office. And, you know, I was reading an article today that, that there are, there's a lot of the pundits are talking about this FOMO effect that a return to office. I saw that create. article. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I just think that's a really interesting concept because even like two months ago, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have even been talking about that. Right. Cause there was still, still an uncertainty in the data, the data that is telling us that employees are still, uh, not wanting to return to the office they are still skeptical or at a minimum, they want, 
this, this option to have a material time working from home and, you know, a day or two days in the office. Yeah. Personally, it feels like that's the, the winning combination work remote at least three days a week and then go in a day or two. Yeah. And what, and what are your, what, what are your, what you have, what are your thoughts on the, the FOMO effect? of some uh, of your colleagues returning to, to office. Like for us, that won't yeah. be, that won't be an issue because we are a hundred percent virtual company now. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious. It, it's not, it's not really an issue for me either because the company I work for is headquartered in a different state and there are only a handful of people from my company that work in, in the Dallas area where I live. And I don't think they're going to ever make us go back into the office. We, we had some, some co-working spaces, but I, I don't, I doubt that they're going to, they're going to renew those leases. So for me, I, I think I'm going to be fully remote from here on out. But if I put myself in the shoes of somebody that, that does work near headquarters and there was an option to go into the office a day or two a week, I think I would take that. I, I think that I would, I would have some level of FOMO to where I'd want to interact with my coworkers in person at least a day or two a week. Even if that just means, you know, going in for a half day, working the morning there and having lunch with some of my coworkers and then working from home, maybe doing that a couple times a week just to have that face-to-face interaction. Um, but yeah, I, I won't have to make, I won't have to make that decision since, since I'm not in the same state as a lot of my coworkers. Yeah, I think we, again, we may see this segmentation of the workforce and this emergence of like almost a dual economy, right, of companies that are catering to, to the, the, the segment of, of the workforce that wants to go into the office. And then you have these other companies that are like really leaning into the digital first and, you know, the virtual working uh, segment of the workforce. And, you know, I think what that means is there's going to be, there could be some turbulence. Like, I think we could see, you know, really, really good people leaving companies that are leaning into a return to office that are kind of swinging hard back the opposite way of where we've been the last year. Or, or somebody that works for a company that's going fully remote and it's somebody that really values, that face-to-face interaction and values those interpersonal relationships that wants to work in an environment like that still. So I 100% agree with that. Yeah. I think that's, that's going to be the case as well. But I will say I, I have a really close friend who has, you know, a huge personality. He's the type of person that walks into a room and everyone knows that he's there. He's the life of the party just that type of coworker. And even he told me recently that while he loved the in the office culture, what he's been able to get back from working from home has made it to where he now prefers working from home. Because before, you know, he was getting out of work around 536 hour drive home at seven, he maybe would have time to work out, maybe would have have time to cook. And then it was, you know, wake up and do the same thing again. But now that he's working from home, he can fit in all of these things in his life that he values and still get his work done. So he was saying that, you know, the pros of of working from home outweigh the pros of going into the office. And this dude is a social butterfly. Um, So it was just interesting to hear somebody like that, that you would expect to say, I absolutely want to go back into the office say that they they're getting more out of uh, working from home than than they did working from the office for me it it is a it's a it's a simple equation like i if i can source talent if i can attract talent that can be find maximum productivity and they can do that in a way that aligns with their lifestyle, like really, really well. Like for me, like I have now realigned and reoriented my life, all aspects of my life in a way that I can, 
achieve what I believe to be like optimal efficiency and optimal productivity, I, why would I create a scenario where a situation, a working environment that would like take away from that? And so for me, you know, as a, as a business, as a business owner and as a, as an executive, like I, I would favor the, the setup that would allow my employees to be, to achieve maximum productivity and not have to worry that like parts of their lives are going to be negatively impacted by me switching back at any level. And, and that's just my personal, my personal view. Like when I think about like the, the best talent out there, um, yeah. I, I think it's talent that's going to be looking to, to achieve maximum productivity. And so that's how I look at it though. Um, yeah. And, you know, I operate a software company. So there yeah. are a lot of also, industries that, that don't have that, that don't have that luxury that actually require a physical presence to build the widgets or, you know, provide whatever that, whatever service they provide. Yeah. You know, one thing that, that Dina again mentioned on, on the previous podcast was treating their employees like adults. And it was interesting, the same friend when I was on a call with him, he, he said, yeah, like, I think that companies should allow their employees to work remote if they want to, because at the end of the day, we're adults and we can, we can get our work done from home. So I just thought it was interesting. He had, he had no idea that this was something that was said on a previous podcast that we had, but here I am having this personal conversation with him. And he's saying the same thing that an HR leader that we've spoken to has said. So I, I just thought that was also, you know, something interesting to point out. Well, and I think the other the other piece of of what Dina shared with us the the equity component, like I, I think that's a a big concern that I have, in that you know for for those so yes you you we're adults and mm-hmm. we should I agree that you know as adults we should be able to make decisions. The there is this factor of equity is that something that can really be policed that can really be enforced? Um, yeah. I feel like, you know, when you think about, uh, unconscious bias, like, you know, if I personally am in a, an office, right. I'm in a, you know, my adult decision is to work in the office yeah. and, and I have, you know, a team that is, you know, that is mixed, right. Some have chosen to work in the office. Some have chosen to work remotely. Like mm-hmm. how, can I ensure that I am not, you know, I'm not creating a bias to the people that are working in the office with me and just naturally, like I'm going to run into them in the, in the kitchen. I'm going to run into them on my, you know, on my way, walking to the parking lot. And, and so I think those are some of the things that I begin to get concerned about. Um, But, you know, I think, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how these things play out. Yeah. And that just reminded me of something else. So thinking about equity in a slightly different way. And I don't know if companies think about equity in this way, but think about a company that is headquartered in San Francisco and 90% of their employees work there. Now, all of a sudden they, they announced that employees have the ability to work anywhere in the U S that they want or anywhere in the world that they want. And you have, you know, 10% of employees working at in headquarters decide to move to Texas, decide to move to Colorado, decide to move to Florida or wherever they want to move to. And now there's this decision that's being made about compensation. So it's interesting, like you say, you're trying to create this equitable experience um, where, you know, you're, you're creating the same experience for everyone, but, but at the same time, if they're moving away from headquarters and going somewhere else, you're saying, well, now we're going to have to readjust your salary. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a tough issue. I, it's going to be interesting what companies do because I feel like this is going to be really common. I feel like this is something we've talked about, again, countless times. There are definitely some, some themes from the conversations that we're having, and it feels like this is something that keeps popping up time and time again. Yeah, I mean, and, and think about the managerial, think about how much we've talked about being the boss and management over the last three months. 
and the level of complexity that is created when it is there's a flexible there's that level of flexibility and fluidity in in your workforce in your team on your teams and and what i mean is like as a manager like am i going to be totally equipped there's certain training that i need to have to be ready to kind of manage you know different types of teams and um and so when you're making the decisions like are we do we want to have to make the the level of investment um to add all these additional training programs um you know it, it's it, it is complicated i do think companies are going to struggle with it i do think this is a blind spot um i mark my words i think that there are going to be we're going to see it's like the great the great attrition right this is going to be like a, a period of like yeah huge turnover and um and it's not like you know unemployment related kind of turnover this is like c- employees switching companies at a at yeah. a very high rate and, and you super, think it'll correlate high. with uh the vaccination rate absolutely yeah absolutely i think that you know earlier this that i made a comment that you know employees are burnt out i think they're that the, that's burnout is a, is a real thing and yeah. as soon as possible like as soon mm-hmm. as things get stable like whatever that means they're gonna yeah. they're they're gonna leave their jobs and and so i think yeah i think as the, the vaccination rates improve as the economy you know shows further signs of strengthening boom we're going to see it yeah. the great the great attrition so not to go on a tangent but or to you know sidetrack our conversation but what's what's the definition of of burnout like That's, i i guess i have my own definition but i'm curious how how people are thinking about it because like at what point do you know that you're burnt out it's like it's like when people are struggling with mental health issues whether it's you know, anxiety or depression or whatever, when they're going through it, they don't really, if it's something they've never experienced before, they don't know they're experiencing it until after they've made it out and they're looking back and then they can say like, oh, wow, like I was dealing with something that I've never dealt with my life. And that was, that was weird. That wasn't normal. So how, how does somebody know if they're burnt out? I I think when you're, I feel that burnout is a, is like a form of depression, right? It is this, this feeling of um, disengagement. I was going to say. It's a feeling of like, like hopelessness in the sense, like, fuck, this is never going to, excuse my language. This is never going to change. Like, this is just how it's going to be. And this really sucks. Uh, And I'm over it. I'm fucking over it. Yeah. I was thinking of burnout more in a sense of when employees become apathetic. Ah, yeah. Interesting. Tell me more. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I was just thinking like if, if an employee is burnt out, I mean, it's, it's similar. It's similar to what you just said. They've reached a point where they're like, I'm tired of this. Like, yeah. what's the point? Yeah. Um, and I don't care anymore. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel yeah. like that's we're, we're, I think we're aligned. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just slightly different. I was just curious how you think about it because when I think about burnout, I mean, you hear that term all the time. Um, but I don't know if anybody really ever gives like a clear definition of what that means. Um, so I was just curious. Right. And we've had, and we've had a couple of guests that have said like you, you look at engagement scores, like, yeah. Are, are your employees engaged and in what yeah. ways are they engaged? I think that one of the, the factors that we look at in terms of burnout, like s- s- warning signs uh, that your workforce is burnt, is experiencing burnout is do they feel that they have development and growth opportunities at, at the company? You know, do they feel that they are getting the resources that they need to, to progress in they, their career, do mm-hmm. they feel as though they are receiving active feedback from their managers, right? Because yeah. if, if when you're, when those things aren't happening um, and in, in a normal, in a normal kind of economy or a normal kind of period, 
those are secondary things, yeah. right? Like, oh, I wish I had a better, a clearer picture of what my career path was going to look like. But, you know, I, I think after the last year, there's your anxieties are heightened. Yeah. Um, people are frustrated, um, not only with their work situation, but, you know, again, this, this element of pandemic fatigue. And, and I think all of that contributes. But, you know, when you start to see those scores drop, I think that's when, you know, those are, there's, those are some warning signs. Yeah. No, I think you hit the the nail on the head. It's a matter of, are there growth opportunities? Um, are you getting the feedback? And I can't remember the third one you said, but I think that you articulated that perfectly because I think if all of those things are happening, you're going to have engaged employees. And, and, and notice, like I didn't mention compensation. I didn't no. mention, right. Like those are, I, I, I think those are things that, you know, for, for, for most segments of the workforce, those things are like, okay, you know, we've all kind of, we've been holed up in our uh, hunkered down in our homes, right? People are just uh, appreciative to have income coming in during a time like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about, um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's a caution to, to those out there, that are are listening, all the practitioners out there to really be digging into your, your, the data, you know, to circle back to the topic earlier, I think that, um, that it's going to be really, really important to, to dissect your data and understand like truly what are the risks to, to our company and to, to our employees. And, you know, are we really in a position to keep our best talent? Because some of the decisions that, companies are about to make businesses are about to make you know there there's some pretty big consequences <laughs> the stakes are high continue to be high oh for sure i think that the next three or four months will uh i don't know companies have some big decisions to make here in the next three or four months and depending on what decisions they make that will that will impact their their next six to twelve months in terms of in terms of talent. So we will see. Another another interesting reflection on this conversation and hearing you know what you were sharing earlier about your friend and you know the ability to to move and you know the fluidity having the option to to work you know wherever. I think that a segment of HR that is going to get really, really interesting is mobility. Um, and mobility historically, and it's the segment of HR I started my career in. Um, yeah. It's like relocation. It's moving from one location to another. And then we might have to do know, a whole episode on mobility. Absolutely. I think, you know, <laughs> it, it just hit me hearing you talk like that yeah. is the future of work and mobility used to be uh, only accessible for like high potential people. Right. So people that are in satellite offices that want to get, you know, fast tracked in the headquarters, you know, a a corporate job or you're sent overseas to open a new market. Um, And I think the landscape of mobility is totally changing. And I think it's going to be a key part of, uh, of doing business. It's so interesting that you say that today, today on our all hands, we had a discussion or our CEO was talking about the fact that, you know, people may or may not, he, he addressed the elephant in the room. People may or may not want to leave the company here in the next three months. And he said, he made it very clear that if that was the case to talk to your manager and tell them what you're interested in doing, because if there's an internal opportunity that, you know, they feel would be a good fit for that person. They want to make it work. They want to provide them opportunities to grow in their career and do something different. If maybe what they're doing isn't what they're looking to do. So it's so funny that you mentioned that because it was top of mind for, for our CEO to talk about today. It's happening. And, you know, my guess is that, uh, you know, it, it had, it ties back in some way, somehow, to the ties back to those engagement surveys ties back to the topic of today's conversation, the data. Yeah. They probably saw something in the data and they were like, Oh crap. Like it looks like people might be on the way out in the next year. Or, or there's an opportunity here where people feel like they, they don't have visibility into, you know, internal opportunities. 
Yeah, that's that's also probably true. Yeah. So well, fascinating, I, though. Yeah. Well, so we hit on a lot today. Is there anything else that that you that you have that's top of mind that you wanted to hit on real quick? No, I think that that really, you know, the the we hit on all the key things that uh, that we're seeing in the data. You know, I just want to reiterate to to our HR practitioner, you know, those in the audience that are that are doing that working in the, that are working in this data, you know, really understand the macro level trends. Um, make sure that you understand, you know, how these scores are fluctuating, how they fluctuated over the the course of the last year, and you know, really prepare yourself for these tough conversations um, because we're seeing a lot of you know the number of calls that I'm getting from you know contacts that you know are about to present their data to executive teams. It, it's never been higher uh, than it's been over the last month. And, um, and so really just get yourself, you know, prepared to, uh, to put your best foot forward and, you know, help to step up to, uh, lean into, to having the conversations. I can't remember how, how Jill Godfrey put it, but you know, it's time for it's HR's time to step it up. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's, that's the last point I have for today. I think the way she put it was it's time for HR to say, I gotcha. Like I gotcha to the CEO, like. I got your boss. It. Yeah, I got your boss. There was something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, excellent. Um, like always, Stephen, great, great talking to you. And uh, yeah, you'll be hearing more from us here in the next week or two. Nice. Thanks. Talk to you later, Stephen. Bye. Bye. Thanks for, for tuning in to another episode of the Modern People Leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We wanna we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening, and and see you on the next episode.